Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm Communications Director Laura Sullivan, and you are in tune with previews. Philadelphia native Jimmy Heath is a legend of jazz. The tenor saxophonist who leads his quartet in concert at Penn State cut his teeth on bebop in the years following World War II. Heath has performed with a who's who of jazz greats, from Dizzy Gillespie and John Coltrane to Miles Davis and Wynton Marsalis. Previews editor John Mark Raffis speaks with Heath about his early years in Philly, his love of composing, his work as an educator, and his forthcoming autobiography. So you have been playing professionally for 60 years now. Yes, I have. And you actually started on the alto sax, didn't you? Correct. What made you switch? Well, you know, the fourth person hired in the Philadelphia area was um, a tenor saxophone. Like, they'd hire a trio, and then they'd hire a tenor. Plus, uh, having been one of Charlie Parker's followers, it was obvious that I would never reach that height <laughs> on on that same instrument. So I chose to switch as well as Coltrane and myself at the same time back in Philly. Because Train and I were playing alto saxophones with Dizzy Gillespie's band. Yeah, apparently Philadelphia is fertile territory for tenor saxophonists. It's fertile ter territory for jazz, period. Being uh, 90 miles from New York, we were privy to hear all of the uh, great beboppers and modernists that came from New York. When you were a kid, were you attracted to jazz? Of course. I was attracted to jazz because of a family. My father played the clarinet, my mother sang in church, and we had all of the so-called race records in our home, all the jazz records we had. And plus, my father had uh, some Stravinsky and other Western classical music, too, you know, but Duke Ellington and Erskine Hawkins and Jimmy Lonsford, Count Basie, they were all, you know, people who were recording, and we could, Louis Armstrong, you know, we heard all of that. So I grew up with that kind of a background, and Percy, uh, my brother, all, and all of us in the family were given an instrument of our choice. Sounds like a great uh, family to grow up in. Well, yeah, I think, uh, uh, I was thinking about that last night, that that was the nurturing ground for the music we call, uh, you know, jazz or Afro-American classical music now because of the family things. The church was involved, the, uh, the uh, entertainment, you know, Everybody dressed up, and they came to the theaters in Philadelphia. If you saw a big band, everybody was dressed. Nobody had on jeans. You know, that was another area of respect for the music that we were playing. So that's the kind of environment that we grew up in. You know, people changed. You know, Miles, and you know, when I played with Miles, Miles was wearing beautiful suits and stuff, you know. He later... He, he later got to wearing things that remind me of dresses, but that's okay. <laughs> you're the same age. You're about two months older than uh, a football coach we have here, Joe Paterno. 
And oh, I, yeah. And I'm thinking that maybe there's something about people born in 1926, um, because you um, you have stayed at the top of your game for, for quite a long time and shown no signs of slowing down. Well, I feel very proud of that, because uh, in the music world, they were incredible. Miles, Cool Train, Ray Brown, uh, uh, Mal Waldron, Tony Bennett, uh, Lou Donaldson, Randy Weston, we're all born in 26, you know? So it's a, it's a illustrious, uh, jazz, uh, group born in that year. I always find it interesting that many of the great jazz musicians all the way up through today, like people like Wynton Marsalis, who I know you've played with, are, yeah. are very much into educational programs. Why do you think that is? Because we are so left out in the media. Jazz is on the back burner. And we want it to continue. It's a continuum. And, and uh, the education system was exclusive to academics practitioners from the bandstand teaching in a university have something else to offer to students than just uh, writing on the blackboard of G minus 7 or G or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, they have the experience and that's what uh, the young students are gravitating to. You've taught at a lot of different schools, but the, the primary one was... Um at the Aaron Copeland School of Music yes, at, at Queens College in, in New York. Mm -hmm. You actually helped to create the Jazz Studies program there, didn't you? Yeah, well, I was the first uh, person hired under that banner. There had been a, a, a professor before me uh, named uh, Howard Brosky, Dr. Howard Brosky. And Howard is a, we call him Dr. Bebop, because he was the one who helped to get me over at the school. He and the symphony conductor, uh, Maurice Perez, mm -hmm. they're the ones who got me over at Queens College because they saw a need for someone coming from the jazz world to support their idea of starting this program. And I was the person they first hired with, uh, on the tenure track. Do you still teach part-time? Yeah, I teach all the time. I'm teaching this Friday at uh, this these two concerts I'm doing, but that's along with a, a, a gig or something, just workshops, not study at the university as I did for 10 years. In fact, one of my students has the program now, and he's a very talented saxophonist, Antonio Hart. You also are a composer. You've composed more than 100 works that have been recorded by a who's who. Do you, yeah. do you still compose? I'm on the computer all day yesterday. <laughs> so I'm a composer, and I'm composing all the time. That's something I just love, man, because uh, it's it's just as important, or maybe more, than standing up playing a solo or a, a performance and having people clap. You know, it's a routine thing most of the time. Mm -hmm. They're not even listening, or they don't understand what's going on sometimes. But when you compose, it's permanent. It's there. People come back and get it. I've even been sampled not to uh, put it on such a... Just financially, it was important to be sampled by rappers, but they only sample two bars and repeat it. <laughs> they don't <laughs> sample I, enough. <laughs> no, no, really. 
<laughs> you understand where I'm coming yeah. from. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, I went to hear the first concert of the uh, season at Lincoln Center on went and invited me. So and and Ahmed Jamal was playing. Uh-huh. And he played one of my compositions that he plays on all his gigs. You know, to have people, your peers, to respect you that much. And some of the young musicians are recording my compositions now. So I feel very uh, proud of that. One of the projects that you worked on in more recent years is the restoration of Louis Armstrong's home in Queens. Did you ever get to play with him? No. No, I didn't. Do you regret that? Uh, in a way, but as when I was coming up, I was in the bebop generation. Right. So Dizzy was my idol mm-hmm. to be around, and I was around him considerably amount of time till he died. And uh, Pops, uh, uh, I appreciate what he did, and I, you know, it's amazing that he uh, was so creative. But uh, uh, you know, it's generational, and until you get a little older. You don't appreciate things. Are there any artists out there that you haven't performed with that you would like to perform with? Oh, yeah. Not now, but Duke was one. <laughs> Duke Ellington was one. Uh, Count Basie, I, I was on a concert with him, but I wasn't with his group. I was with the, uh, the Heath Brothers, and we opened like for Basie on things. I just finished. It's going to be edited. Uh, my autobiography, which is titled I Walked with the Giants. And it will be out the first part of next year. And I was fortunate enough that I've been working on it for about 18, 19 years. So I got a lot of great interviews from my peers. So it's uh, it's not only me, it's what they think of me and what I think of them. And it's uh, I think it's going to be you know, for those who are interested in a, a life in jazz. Tickets are on sale now for the Jimmy Heath Quartet, November 20th at Schwab Auditorium. Order online at www.cpa.psu.edu or by phone at 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.